Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of The Rebuttal Podcast, where chaos, calamity, and case law really do reign. My name is Reb Maisel, your host, as always. And for those of you watching on YouTube, you might be wondering, wow, Reb, why do you have a decent pour of white wine in your hand? Um, Well, folks, today, I think I need a bit of liquid courage to get through this baby only because if you've listened from episode one okay our pivotal episode one our debut in which tsa was held together with fucking scotch tape as we know right as we now know (laughs) unfortunately the aviation related cases do not leave me alone right i am haunted i am literally haunted um by this this shit show by this haunted house by this absolute um clown show and i come back (laughs) for this episode with a glass of wine because i have to unfortunately inform you that not only is tsa held together with fucking scotch tape but the national transportation safety board the ntsb if you will Closely working in conjunction with the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA. I don't know if you knew. I don't know if you guys have ever heard. Yeah. Um, They are also held together with some twine and string. All right. So let's drink to that. Ah, God damn it. Oh, that is good. Okay. Unfortunately, I'm here to, to rain on everyone's parade. The National Transportation Safety Board. Okay. I'm going to refer to them now as the NTSB. And the FFA, you know, I have all the all the utmost respect for them. Okay, if you're listening and you are from those administrations, hey, how are you? Love you so much. Um, let me know what the fuck is going on with this case. Um, and also, you know, I wouldn't be super, como se dice, critical of y'all if it weren't for the fact that this case like the fucking TSA case that we talked about episode one. It's so not indicative of this being an outlier. You know what I mean? Like this case is so just like the TSA one, very much a, oh my God, this is one of a million and not so much one in a million, which gives me hives, right? It gives me concern. It gives me hives and it makes me never want to go on a fun, cute and gorgeous, flirty, friendly, commercial aircraft like tour situation you know what i mean like this is this i'm setting the scene for y'all okay you know how you could basically pay like anyone with a fucking halfway like with with the license right with appropriate license um you know you could pay for like private like plane tours helicopter tours right like you can go up in a propeller plane and like fly over you know scenic scenic places especially in very remote locations right obviously like in canada in alaska hint hint in, you know, the Appalachian Mountains, so many different places in the U.S. and around the world. Well, in the U.S., okay, anywhere where you have, like, private tours or where you could hire a pilot, okay, and, like, you know, he uses his fucking plane and shit, those pilots and those aircraft have to be licensed to actually be paid to play, 
right? Like they have to be licensed in order to be a commercial flying aircraft to have people pay you to fly you up there, okay? And do a little whoop whoop and then go back down and, you know, please tip, that kind of shit, okay? Obviously, you have to be licensed, which I, you know, I will say, like if you guys were like, oh my God, wait, do they not even require people to be licensed? They do require that at the very fucking least, okay? And that is basically where everything starts to crumbly dumbly, okay, in this case. But we're not going to start there, okay? We're not going to start with the crumbly dumbly. We're going to start on the very fateful day of August 24th, 2014. On August 24th, 2014, defendant Forrest M. Kirst, K-I-R-S-T, piloted a small plane on a charter flight out of Fairbanks, Alaska, carrying Daryl Spencer... Daphne McCann, Spencer's sister-in-law, and Marcine Nason, McCann's sister. Spencer had an interest in photography and booked the flight with Kirst for $3,500 to photograph polar bears. The weather on the day of the flight was clear with a light wind. The plane took off from Fairbanks, Alaska, stopped at Bettles for a roughly 20-minute break, and continued north toward Prudhoe Bay. The plan was to fly along the coast to look for polar bears. Daryl Spencer sat in the front passenger seat. Daphne McCann sat behind Kirst, behind the pilot. And Marcine Nason sat behind Spencer. So are we understanding it is a four-person plane layout? We have Kirst is the pilot. Right behind him is Daphne. And in the passenger seat is Daryl Spencer. And right behind him is Marcine amazing. As the plane headed north toward Prudhoe Bay, the passengers spotted a moose and wanted to photograph it. Kirst flew lower and circled the moose for a few minutes before climbing to a higher altitude. Apparently, they had circled the moose once and then bounced and then they looked at photos while they were in the air and were like, no, that wasn't good enough. Like we needed, we needed better pics. And so then it went back again and like circled the moose again. The judge in the case and the trial transcripts, because of course, like, you know, y'all said, you, you know, your girl like found them and read them. The, the, even the judge in the case, when there were a bunch of objections about testimony about like how many times the moose was photographed, the judge was like, this, we get it. The judge literally goes, okay, we get it. This poor moose that was photographed way too many times was photographed. Let's move on, counselor. Like, he was like so fucking over it. And so was the moose. And we'll let you know why in a second. About 15 or 20 minutes later, after photographing the moose, the plane approached Atigan Pass. Please let me know if I'm pronouncing that right. Atigan. A-T-I-G-U-N. Atigan. Atigun. Atigan. Atigan Pass. The elevation of the pass is 4,400 feet. The elevation of the surrounding peaks is a little over 6,000 feet. Daphne testified at trial that the plane was flying below the peaks of the mountains as it approached the pass and that she could see the peaks only by looking up. Daphne estimated that the plane was between two-thirds to three-quarters of the way from the ground to the top of the mountains. Daphne noticed no vibrations, damage to the propeller, or anything else unusual. As you will remember, Daphne is one of the female passengers sitting directly behind the pilot, Cursed. Two witnesses saw the plane as it flew over Chandelar Shelf on the way to Atikan Pass. One of the witnesses testified at trial that there is a steep incline after the shelf before reaching the pass. That witness estimated that the plane was flying roughly 500 feet above the shelf. 
The other witness was driving a, a grab. The other witness was driving a gravel truck on the road leading up to the shelf. That witness estimated that the plane was flying roughly 100 feet above the shelf when he first saw it. When the witness reached the shelf, he saw the plane again. He estimated that the plane was now about two miles away and about 1,000 feet above the ground. Not very high, if you really think about it. Several pipeline workers saw the crash. One worker testified at trial that the plane was, quote, flying real low, that it did not, quote, seem out of control, and that the wings were level. He testified, quote, I just saw it coming to a land, and it went to its right side, and it just kind of like stopped and skid like a little bit down the hill. That worker testified that the plane appeared to be flying normally and that it was staying on a flight path parallel to the ground. A second worker testified that when he saw the plane, it was, quote, between 250 and 500 feet off the ground, which is devastatingly low. Okay, I'm not, look, I'm not like a plane specialist, but like, goddamn. He had previously estimated in talking to an investigator that the plane had been, quote, 500 to 800 feet above him. He testified that the engine was revving and that the RPM was picking up. A third worker described the a third worker described the crash, quote, "It just kind of shocked me how low it was flying. Four or five seconds later, it was on the ground. It was a miracle landing. It was contoured to the mountain. When it hit, it just stopped and then it just slid downhill a little bit. Passenger Daphne testified, quote, "We banked to the right while we were looking at the mountains, and I felt like an air pocket, like when you're in a big plane and you go whoop and your stomach goes up. And the next time I opened my eyes, we were on the ground. Several pipeline workers rushed the plane after the crash. When they arrived, Curse, the pilot, asked them to remove the canopy, the cockpit cover, to get him and the passengers out of the plane. Mind you, it is a tiny plane, right? There are only four people in it total with the, with the um, pilot. Curse, the pilot who was just speaking and explaining, you know, essentially explained to the workers how to get the cover off, he suffered serious injuries okay and although the court opinion that i'm reading from currently right now states he had su su suffered serious injuries to his back that wasn't it forrest curse had a hand injury several broken ribs a collapsed lung he suffered permanent nerve damage from about the diaphragm area down through various parts of his feet that which was caused by compression fractures of his spine where actually four or five of his vertebrae were crushed or fractured together Okay, this is the pilot. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. 
They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Despite his serious injuries, Kirst was lucid and, lucid and communicative. He gave clear instructions about turning, turning off the fuel system and appeared to be aware of what was happening. Kirst instructed an Alaska Department of Transportation worker to turn off the master switch and the ignition. That worker noticed that one of the propeller blades was missing and that the throttle was bent. He testified at trial, quote, if it was at full throttle, the throttle would be completed to the panel. And I remember it being out a little bit. In addition to cursed, all three of the other passengers sustained serious, if not critical, injuries. Daphne McCann, who sat immediately behind the pilot, Forrest Cursed, testified, quote, I had a cracked sternum, three cracked ribs on one side, four on the other. My two teeth, my two teeth here were missing. My spine, 10 vertebrae were broken, two burst, exploded inside of me. Nothing touched my spinal cord. That's basically it, unquote. <laughs> That's basically it. Daffy was like, look, gave you the list. I gave you the full breakdown. Like, that's basically it. Marcine Nason, Daphne's sister, sat right next to Daphne, right behind the passenger seat of the plane. She had similar injuries to Daphne, except she had more extensive and significant head injuries, head and back injuries. So when first responders were actually responding to the plane crash and trying to get everyone out marcine was like mumbling talking it was it was extremely hard to understand what she was saying and they could very clearly tell that she was suffering from a significant head injury so that or i mean marcine was life flighted almost immediately by helicopter out of the, out of that shit okay out of the bitch she was out of there she did survive along with daphne as you can probably deduce from her testifying at trial later Forrest Curse, the pilot survived. Daphne McCann survived. Marcine Nason survived. But Daryl Spencer did not. Because of how many lacerations were on his head, they basically had to use a, a, his baseball cap and a bunch of trauma gauze in order to even keep it contained um, on his head. 35 days after the crash, Daryl Spencer succumbed to his injuries and passed away. The coroner's report stated it was from a pulmonary artery embolism. For those who don't know, a pulmonary embolism is a sudden blockage in your pulmonary arteries, the blood vessels that send blood to your lungs. It usually happens when a blood clot deep in the veins in your leg, for example, breaks off and propels to your lungs. Essentially, internal injuries when you go through a massive trauma like this, especially in car accidents, plane crashes, etc., internal injuries like this can go unnoticed, right? Internal damage, damage going on and then travel up to the lungs, causing a pulmonary embolism and a life-threatening medical emergency. And in this case, 35 days after the crash, Daryl Spencer did die from his injuries, though the other three passengers in the plane did survive, including the pilot. Cursed, okay, despite being injured, okay, on the plane, actually, uh, basically immediately upon being taken out of the plane and he was laid on rocks, which is like kind of a shitty deal. You know what I mean? Like that, that was all that was, that was around. Um, if you'll, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see the actual 
photos of the crash um and you can see it's literally just the worst kind of fucking rocks you could ever imagine to be laid upon after suffering like you know several of your vertebrae being crushed and you know just fucking squeezed together that's the exact it's not it's not giving tempurpedic right it's not really giving sleep mattress look okay so immediately after they extract him from the fucking plane which was difficult to do right just to extract all the passengers from the plane and everything they're getting everything everyone you know figured out um he is chatty kathy okay he is chatting he's chatting for sure which is like not the best right not the fucking best especially in this case um cursed while he's lying on these fucking rocks made several statements immediately after the crash one of the workers testified at trial that as curse sat on the rocks after being removed from the plane he said quote well there goes insurance there goes my business the worker testified that curse repeated to himself quote what the heck happened did i come in too low and appeared to run through the possibilities of what happened before the crash don't do this whether you're in a car accident or not you're in a plane crash or not. And I'm not saying this as like, you know, the pilot's counsel, um, cause I'm very much not, I'm indeed not. And as you'll see, um, we're not really on, we're not a pro cursed family here. We're not, we're not pro, we're not pro pilot. Okay. In this case, just like we weren't really necessarily pro TSA in the last one. Okay. In episode one, it's not giving pro pilot, but it's also not giving pro NTSB. Okay. Full offense, full offense there. Um, but you know, these are just a side fun, like side quests that we have here, you know, side lessons we can pick up for the day is that if you're ever piloting a fucking airplane and that shit crashes into a mountain, maybe think about shutting your fucking mouth outside of just, you know, staying lucid, staying conscious, talking about the weather, right? If they're like, Hey, what happened? Be like, anyways, like loving, loving today, loving the blue skies. Look at that cute cloud. Just start talking about nothing relevant to the crash. Thank you so much. As your lawyer, thank you so much. I know this is going to be hard to remember when shit hits the fan, but like maybe if I drill it into your brains enough, you'll shut the fuck up. Thank you. So the worker testified that Kirst repeated to himself, quote, what the heck happened? Did I come in too low? And appeared to run through the possibilities of what happened before the crash. After another worker helped carry Kirst down to an ambulance, that witness, that witness testified that Kirst said that his business was ruined, that he was in a lot of trouble for the crash, and that a downdraft had ca- partially caused the crash. Remember that every witness that that shows up, okay, as a first responder to your accident, to your crash, to the scene of a crime, to the scene of an incident, to help out, right? Just just good Samaritans. All of them are going to sing like canaries. Of course they fucking are, okay? They're not they don't have any ill will towards you. They don't want to, right? Like they they're not they're not trying to help out the 50, okay, the 5150. They are, but they are absolutely without a doubt going to protect their own asses. And also when they have no stake in the game and all people want to hear is their side of the story and they get subpoenaed to testify at trial, they're going to sing like a fucking canary. They're not going to protect your ass. Okay. They're going to remember everything. You want to know why? Because that event was also traumatic for them. They also had to witness some shit and they're kind of pissed and they want people to be held responsible. So remember that shit. Okay. When you're being carried off, life flighted, all those bitches in there are going to be subpoenaed later. Okay, they're going to be fucking subpoenaed. So keep it cute. Keep it cute. Curse told one of the Department of Transportation workers that he had been what he had been 1000 feet above the mountaintops that a downdraft caught the plane and that increasing the power did not help the plane escape the downdraft. And the ambulance Curse told one of the female passengers, quote, if I were your husband, I would punch me in the nose. When asked why Curse responded, that it was because they got into the crash Curse responded to a medic that he, quote, ran out of horsepower. Too, mu- too much commentary. Okay, too much comment. 
if I were your husband, I would punch me in the nose. Why don't you just say that you're like, why don't you just throw on the towel now, my guy? Like, why don't you just say fuck, fuck, whatever your lawyer's trying to do? Why don't you just say fuck it? Fuck a weeball. Stop it. Shut it. Shut your fucking mouth. Thank you. Also, like, who the fuck said, like, that's my thing, too. It's not, it's not even like, oh, like, hmm, can you believe, like, he just talks too much. I'm like, well, it's also, like, bad, it's in bad taste. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is in bad taste. Like, we also don't know how everyone's doing. This was a very serious crash. You literally hit the side of a fucking mountain in this tiny-ass little fucking airplane, which you'll find out was, was, this airplane was built, literally put together for the first time in 1942, by the way. Yeah. No bueno. So before World War II uh, called it quits, before World, before before D-Day happened, okay? Imagine that. Before D-fucking-Day, all right? Um, this shit this shit was pumping. This shit was pumping gas. Uh, it was flying. It was buzzing around. And this shit happened in 2014, okay? Like, maybe let's not make jokes about someone punching other people in the face when we don't even know when everyone's alive yet. State troopers reported the crash to the NTSB and the FAA. If you guys didn't know, now you do. Every time there is an airplane crash, okay, every single time, the NTSB and the FAA investigate the crash. The NTSB is an independent federal agency responsible for investigating transportation accidents and deciding pilots' airman certification appeals. In its investigatory role, the NTSB is charged with, quote, establishing the facts, circumstances, and cause or probable cause of aircraft accidents. The FFA has enforcement authority to revoke a pilot's airman certificate. The NTSB and FAA exchange factual information in the course of their investigations of aviation incidents. So, in sum, the NTSB, okay, and the FFA are kind of this dual authority, right? No matter what, any single time, any time there's an aircraft accident, incident, anything goes awry, even a little bit, even if shit works out fine, even if no one's injured, the NTSB and the FFA the FAA are on site, okay? I keep saying FFA, okay, which is crazy. Like the future farmers of America, if anyone was a was part of that club in high school, I, I was the treasurer of my FFA club at my high school for the high school that I went to for two years in the middle of corn sticks and mud in Illinois, okay? FFA, future farmers of America. Am I one? No, I'm not, but I did my best. <laughs> FAA, the FAA, the FAA, the FAA. Okay. The NTSB and the FAA. Wow. I want to say it so bad every time. Fuck. The NTSB and the FAA investigate anytime a plane goes kerk-plunk, anytime anything shitty happens. Okay. Including when everything works out fine. This includes the time when I was a fucking first year. Okay. Summer between my first year and second year of law school. And I had to get home to finish an assignment. Okay. After externing, I, I don't know, I was, I was interning at a law firm like 20 minutes away from my house and it would take me like exactly 20 minutes to get home. And I was like, perfect, like 20 minutes to get home. This is going to be great. I'm going to have exactly, you know, two hours because I, I was like, I need to work on this. This I, I think it was like my law review article or whatever, uh, like a law review something or another. Okay. For law school, I was like, I need to work on this for like three hours. Okay. This is going to be perfect. I'm going to be able to like go to bed, right? Like at 11 p.m., like some decent time and get dinner, da, da, da. Um, yeah, some fucking asshole in Calabasas, some rich fuck decided to fly his propeller plane on a Wednesday afternoon at rush hour over the 101, okay, which is like, like literally blasphemous, okay, choose any other fucking day, any other fucking time, nope, let's do 5 p.m., that sounds like, that sounds good, you know what, I don't, I don't even want to like view the ocean really, right, because like, I'm like, I'm like a decent, you know, 
20 minute drive away from the ocean at this point. I'm in the valley, okay, in LA. I don't really want to look at the ocean or anything, you know, really sightsee worthy. I just want to look at all of the cars dead stop in rush hour traffic on the 101 at 5 p.m. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And so that if anything goes wrong, right, with my little prop bullshit plane, my little dumb fucking two-seater, I'm going to land that bitch on the 101, force all of these cars, right, to to be stuck in traffic for three total hours, three total hours in a parking lot, right, with no, because there's this one, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right perfectly act, actually at a place where there's literally a two-mile stretch of time where there are no exits that you could possibly get off on on the highway to maybe like avoid that jam or like get out of the jam and also no way for you to flip a ue through the divider like in between because there's a big fucking wall there right can't can't do it not today yeah i'm gonna do that shit and then like literally like jimmy roll like literally like like circus fucking clown roll out of the plane and be completely fucking fine right so that you don't even have like i was like this motherfucker literally sitting in traffic for three hours i was like this motherfucker better be fucking dead which is so bad to say but I was like, this motherfucker better be fucking injured. He better fucking have like a limb torn off. As sad as that is to say. Um, and he didn't. He was completely fucking fine. So yeah, everyone on the 101 who was who was in gridlock traffic for three fucking hours in Calabasas um, on some random day in 2018 in like summertime-ish. Um, literally like the, what is it from Hunger Games? Like that's what I'm doing right now. The like salute not like the not the nazi salute okay the fucking hunger game salute you know you know the vibes um yeah we we are all we are all together we are all community we are all brothers and sisters okay we all became family that day because we all wanted to kill someone so badly and the reason why it took three hours okay the reason why it took three hours all circles back to my point okay brings us back to this case okay united states versus cursed the reason why we were on the on that bitch for three hours in deadlock gridlock parking lot traffic wasn't because this bitch crashed okay it really wasn't that big of a crash it was like a very uneventful just like this bitch just landed it he just kind of landed on the on the 101 it wasn't a crash or anything he just kind of like weed rolled to a stop and it was fine um but because there was some spillage okay of some like you know um some some fuel there on there and because the NTSB and the FAA had to roll up and investigate because, it, again, it was a crash, you know, defined as a crash, right? Didn't fucking land the way you're supposed to. Um, It took them a while to roll up, okay? It took them a while to pull up. I don't know what the fuck their problem was, but yeah, it took them a while. So basically, all of the authorities, the law enforcement, everything had to just rope that bitch off and just sit there and not let anyone go by, not anyone through because they had to investigate the whole thing, everything. They had to wait until the federal agents drop. It was a mess, right? It was a fucking mess. But that's what, right? That's what the NTSB and the FAA, the FAA are for, okay? To to force you to sit in a parking lot on the 101 and gridlock traffic for three fucking hours because their boy had to go finish his lunch before he could hop skibbly dude all over to investigate this, this thing. And, right, to make sure that um, the people who have licenses to fly around are the ones who are supposed to. Um, which, which, you know, <laughs> brings us to our first sip of wine of the evening on camera. Well, our second. Yeah. Uh, some shit went down with respect to some, some licensing situations some licensing matters here in this case, um, which I'll get to in a moment, but okay. Essentially this case, this trial did not arise out of 
the the crash itself, which, you know, would honestly make me feel fucking better, I think, maybe, about the... I, I might, like, graduate the the twine and and string the string and twine holding together the ntsb and the faa right to like maybe some duct tape right maybe some duct tape maybe something a little stronger maybe something a little more rigid if this case was actually about this crash but no it was not this case only arises out of the pilot being a super scummy pathological lying douche canoe that's it. And just like the TSA fucking case, okay, where our motherfucker, the only reason why that motherfucker got fucking, you know, caught was because a single intern at TSA at Midway Chicago decided to speak up and go, wait a minute, shit is not chill. The only reason why this motherfucker in this case, this pilot got prosecuted and indicted for literally anything is because he didn't shut his mouth. He didn't shut his mouth. And when he opened it, everything he said was lies. Let's get into it. On the day after the crash, the NTSB launched a limited accident investigation. A limited investigation involves gathering information from first responders and witnesses without sending an investigator to the crash site. So nobody from the NTSB visited the crash site. They were like, the pics are good. We're, we're fine. We're Gucci. The NTSB concluded that the weather was not an issue. Weather data indicated that there were only slight winds from the northeast. Curse's plane was equipped with two GPS devices. One of the devices, a Garmin 430, was permanently installed on the plane. The Garmin 430 had lost all of its data and was of no value to the investigation. State troopers recovered another GPS device, a Garmin 196, from the plane and sent it to the NTSB for examination. The Garmin 196 recorded rudimentary flight information, including the plane's flight path, ground speed, and over-the-ground altitude. The Garmin 196 also provided a moving map with orientation, and it recorded the plane's position once every 10 seconds. Garmin 196 devices have not been certified by the FAA for use in navigation. A government witness testified at trial that he would not use it to make a landing or to avoid terrain. The witness testified that a Garmin 196 is accurate within 49 feet at a 95% confidence level. Anything at a 95% confidence level, level when I'm flying people in the fucking air is giving me hives. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm not the one to speak to or inform about when people say like, oh, did you know that every aircraft like flying commercially in the US is like broken? Like, did you know every single one like needs to be fixed? Can you shut the fuck up and not tell me things I don't want to hear? I don't need to know that. Okay. Just give me my fucking vodka gran. Give me my fucking spicy tomato juice on ice. Okay. With a full can and, and, and let me noise cancel. Shh. Shut it. I believe you. Okay. I believe you, but I'm sure I'm going to, you know, win $1 and 11 cents later in a class action suit that one of y'all are going to file in about five years. Okay. Let me drink my fucking wine in peace. Holy shit. Bradford Sipperly, which literally sounds like a fake person, like this sounds like a fake name. It not only sounds like a fake name, it sounds like your mom hated you. It sounds like your mom was like, you know what? Let's make him, let's let's ensure that he's bullied out the yang. Hi, what's your name? Bradford Sipperly. Shut the fuck up. Like, what's your real fucking name? Okay. And apparently didn't go by Brad. Okay. They went full, full government name up in this bitch. Okay. Bradford Sipperly, an aviation safety inspector employed by the FAA, 
testified at trial that data from the Garmin 196 indicated that the plane made no turns immediately before the crash. Just drove straight into the mountain. Beautiful. Separately testified that the data showed a rapid loss of airspeed immediately before the crash, indicating a rapid climb in altitude. He testified that the Garmin 196 GPS record indicated the, that the plane entered Atagun Pass at data point 798. The GPS record shows that at that data point, the plane was 674 feet above the ground. Two FAA safety inspectors visited the site the day after the crash. One of them, Jason Major, testified that one propeller blade was missing. Based on physical evidence at the scene, he concluded that the blade had been torn off when the plane hit the ground. The director of maintenance for Curtis's plane inspected the propeller safety assembly after the crash. He, too, concluded that the blade had come out on impact. An air safety inspector of the propeller's manufacturer concluded that the blade broke off when it hit the rocks. So, long story long, with respect to the propeller, okay, which you'll hear about later... That bitch was ripped off, okay? It was it was all fucked up because of the impact. It wasn't fucked up prior to the crash, okay? That's a conclusion. The propeller assembly was later shipped to a, the manufacturing plant in Ohio for further examination. That examination confirmed the air safety inspector's conclusion that ground impact had caused the damage to the propeller. The missing blade was never found. The reason for all of the testing on the propeller will come, will, will arise shortly. Three weeks after the crash, on September 9th, 2014, Clint Johnson, chief of NTSB's Alaska Regional Office, interviewed Kirst in his hospital room after clearing the interview with his doctors and nurses. Pilots are not required to participate in NTSB interviews, but most do participate. Kirst agreed to the interview, but, but did not allow an FAA representative to be present. Kirst's attorney was present in, at the interview his attorney advised Curse not to agree to the interview due to his injuries. Johnson, the chief of the NTSB's Alaska Regional Office, testified at trial that Curse was coherent and articulate during the interview. So, three weeks after this fucking accident, okay, the chief of the NTSB's Alaska Regional Office rolls up to your hospital room and says, hey, let's, let's chat. And Kirst, okay, the pilot, calls up his attorney. His attorney says, don't fucking do the interview. And Kirst says, I'm going to do it anyway. Why do we not want him to do the interview? Oh, I don't know. Probably because there's a reason, right, why this interview is going to be important. And obviously, everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And also, um, you have a great fucking excuse for not talking to these people. You were just in a fight. You were just yeeted. You were just persplute. You were just perspeckled. You were just jabbergasted in this fucking airplane, in this cockpit, okay? When you crash that bitch into a mountain, you have injuries. You have head injuries. You have back injuries. Your spine was crunched like a fucking accordion, okay? Please set down your fucking beer and 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 you are on so many pain meds. Can you just shut the fuck up? God damn it, okay? And of course, right? Uh, our our boy, our buddy pilot, cursed. Okay, fucking does this fucking interview, and of course later on, right at trial, his attorneys at trial try to put on all this evidence about him being on fentanyl and an oxycotton and like all this, all these fucking you know opioids, all these pain meds. But like at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, but like you agreed to it, bitch. Like you fucking and nothing about what you were doing, nothing about the way you were acting seemed incoherent. 
So like be so fucking for real. Okay. And of course, cursed. Okay. Claims he doesn't remember this fucking interview, but he turns out to be as reliable as, you know, Donald Trump on his best sober day. So like, what does that tell you? According to notes taken by an NTSB employee in the hospital room during the interview, Kirst stated that the flight from Bettles to Attigan Pass took about 20 minutes. Kirst stated that just before the accident, he was, quote, climbing through 5,500 to 5,700 feet with a target altitude of 6,000 feet from Chandelier Shelf, immediately south, south of Attigan Pass. Are you seeing a discrepancy here at all? Okay. Are we noticing anything? Remember, okay, remember, I know there's a lot of info coming at you, but just record that, okay, remember. The GPS records showed that at that data point, okay, when he entered Attigan Pass, he was only 674 feet above the ground, okay? Curtis stated that Daryl Spencer, okay, our passenger who ultimately ended up succumbing to his injuries, quote, slumped into the yoke and blocked the throttle and landing gear controls as they encountered rising terrain and a downdraft. Kirst stated that he yelled at the unresponsive Spencer and tried to push him away from the controls. According to Kirst, he was pinned by Spencer and unable to push Spencer off the controls. Kirst told Johnson, the NTSB director, that Spencer's weight on the controls put the plane in a descent that resulted in the crash. Kirst described Daphne and Marcine, who were in the back of the plane, as unresponsive during the time Spencer was blocking the controls. He blamed this on them taking the equivalent of Dramamine right before this because they were getting motion sickness, plane sick. Johnson testified, the NTSB director, testified at trial that he was surprised to hear Kirst say that Spencer had blocked the controls. And he saw Kirst's lawyer raise his eyebrows when Kirst made that statement. If your lawyer raises your fucking eyebrows, you just said the most fuck shit you could. Like, you just said something so fucking out of pocket. Like, it was literally beyond even comprehend. Like, you literally, like, you, like, like, the raising of the eyebrows in lawyer speak is the equivalent of you basically, like, taking out a knife and slitting your own throat. Like, as, like, that would make, like, right? Because the, the lawyer poker face during a fucking interview, okay? If I do this, it's, oh, like, it's fucking crickets. It's done. It's tap out you're done it's over i'm literally screaming so loudly internally it, it beyond comprehension deafening deafening roar okay the fact that the ntsb director said that he saw cursed lawyer raise his eyebrows when cursed made that statement that spencer had slumped over the controls okay and and like prevented curse from flying the plane and it pew, like crashed it's fucking like like it's done it's not done, right? Like, it's not done. But, like, that's the equivalent of a lawyer basically telling you to, holy fucking God, shut up. Thank you. Prior to that interview, in his hospital room, NTSB officials had believed that the accident was actually due to pilot error. That the plane was climbing in a rising terrain and that the plane could not clear the pass. An NTSB investigator testified at trial that he found Kerr's statement that Daryl Spencer had blocked the controls, confusing because it was inconsistent with Kirst's previous statement that a downdraft had caused the crash. So he gave that interview approximately two weeks after the crash, okay, from his hospital bed where his attorney was raising his fucking eyebrows as hard as he fucking could raise them and nothing was doing anything great to shut him the fuck up. On November 7th, 2014, approximately two months after the crash occurred, 
Kirst submitted a Form 6120 to the NTSB. This form is an accident report that a pilot must complete after an accident. Kirst indicated in the report that he had been operating a 135 flight. So a 135 flight from this from here on out is going to be referred to as a flight which requires a 135 license, which is essentially a license to operate an aircraft for commercial, fun, flirty, gorgeous use, okay? Operate an aircraft for the purpose of having other people pay you to do like tours and shit, okay? Commercial aircraft, commercial flight, 135, okay? That's what you need to know. So, Curtis indicated in the report that he had been operating a 135 flight, a flight carrying passengers for payment. During a 135 flight, a plane is required to maintain a distance of 500 feet from the terrain, both in altitude and in horizontal distance on each side of the plane. Kirst wrote on the form, quote, while operating at approximately 5,600 feet, encountered abrupt and unexpected aircraft instability, took steps to correct, but actions were ineffective. Kirst wrote that a, quote, propeller clamp bolt failure caused blade to become unindexed and blade separation in flight, end quote. Kirst wrote in the section asking for a safety recommendation, quote, check torque on propeller clamp bolts before further flights on this model propeller one-time fix, unquote. Emphasis on one-time fix. So first we have Kirst saying that um, Daryl Spencer slumped forward onto his controls, prevented him from figuring out what the fuck was happening, um, which caused the plane to, to crash which caused his lawyer's eyebrows to raise and everyone to go, what the fuck? That's weird. First we're hearing of this, right? Um, next, two months later, in his Form 6120 report, okay, now it's written down, fantastic, uh, we have another discrepancy, okay, where he's blaming the entire thing on um, the propeller, right? Claiming that there was a sudden and abrupt failure. The propeller separated, all of that. It was a one-time fix and also claiming that he was flying that bitch at 5,600 feet when when he experienced sudden aircraft instability, right? It, it's, it's giving inconsistent, and it's also giving directly contrary to the evidence. Fuck, right? Oh, no. Oh, no, boy, no. At this point, the NTSB upgraded the limited investigation to a more serious field accident investigation as a result of the alleged mechanical failure, right? NTSB is like, we believe you, my guy. We trust your shit. We trust your vibe. We trust your your moment, okay? We protect our own. We're going to upgrade this bitch. We're going to totally see what the vibes are about this propeller, um, which also gives me hives and gives me pause and gives me anxiety because I'm like, why do you trust your pilots that badly, like that much? And I'm not saying that they shouldn't trust their pilot, whatever, right? Okay. But like, damn, we're really doing the honor system here, okay? On like what? Oh, yeah. You mean all the evidence about the fucking crash is completely contrary to what, what happened? Um or what you said happened, let's just like, let's just like totally believe you that there was a mechanical effect. Like, please, whatever. A field accident investigation requires more resources and involves representatives from the propeller, airframe, and engine manufacturers. The NTSB informed the FAA of the upgraded investigation in late November 2014, based entirely upon curse rumblings about the fucking propeller, Okay. On December 9th, 2016, Kirst emailed the NTSB alleging that his attorney's office had mistakenly marked the flight as a 135 flight when it was instead a 91 aerial photography flight. Question mark. 
Kirk's lawyer testified at trial that by characterizing the flight as a 91 flight, Kirk wanted to defend flying low when the passengers took pictures of the moose. Kirk's lawyer testified that he disagreed and thought that Kirk operated a 135 flight. Like, know that at this trial, this lawyer had to, like, testify to some shit. Like, that's fucking insane. That's fucking insane. Red flags were flying, right? Red flags were fucking flying. This motherfucker was, was sniffing out, right, the bad end result and was thinking, we need to fix this. We need to get behind it. And unfortunately, he was so fucking in front of it and it was about to rail him in the behind. The FAA started an investigation in October 2014. The FAA revoked Kirst's Airman certificate on an emergency basis on December 11th, 2015, prohibiting him from flying. Mind you, this is one year after. One year after, over one year after the actual accident took place. Okay? And mind you, they revoked his airman certificate on an emergency basis on December 11, 2015, over a year after the fucking crash. Emergency basis? They're not even saying, oh yeah, for sure it's honeybee revoked. They're like, oh my God, hurry. Revoke it for a minute. Maybe we'll reinstate it. Who knows? Jesus Christ. Kirst was then observed taxiing in his plane, presumably after a flight, after the revocation, prompting the FAA to issue a second emergency order of revocation. Kirst is literally balls to the wall insane. Curses to give zero fucks. But why would he? You know what I mean? Look at look at look who's running the fucking show, right? We have a year and a half, year and a couple months later, okay, after the fucking crash, they're like, hey, by the way, don't fly. By the way, could you not fly other people in your fucking plane? Hey, do you do you mind not being in the air for a second? Hey, do you mind not operating a fucking aircraft up there one year after that thing happened? You're like, uh-huh, sure. People are like, yo, he's fucking taxing the plane. Oh my god, curse. For real this time, they they issue a second order as if that's going to do anything. And I mean, oh, here's another piece of paper. Like, can you get this fool like in like, can you get someone to watch his shit? Like lock his fucking plane, like put it, you know how they put boots? Like I got a boot put on my fucking car for not paying a fucking parking ticket. And this motherfucker can't get a boot put on his fucking airplane. Are you out of your fucking minds? Y'all don't have NTSB FAA size boots. Put a boot on that bitch. Jesus Christ, he just crashed his fucking plane into a goddamn mountain in Alaska to go photograph some meats, okay? Literally killed a person, put someone's spine in an accordion-like form, crumpled somebody, and you're over here a year and some change later going, hey, maybe, 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 maybe wheels down, right? Maybe, like, keep that bitch on the ground. Are you out of your, What? Like I said, twine. Like I said, string. Like I said, scotch tape. Okay? That's what it's held together with. Kirst, of course, appealed the FAA's revocation of his airman certificate and the NTSB reviews appeals of the FAA's revocations of airman certificates. <laughs> during the appeal, the FAA deposed Kirst in March 2016. During the deposition, Kirst stated that the plane flew at 5,500 to 5,600 feet and continued climbing before the crash. Kirst stated that as his plane approached Atagoon Pass, he could see through the pass and that the plane pitched over badly, falling at a thousand feet per minute. Kirst stated that Spencer, okay, our passenger, flopped forward and that he, the pilot, Kirst, turned the plane 180 degrees. According to Kirst, Spencer bumped the throttle and everything went to hell again while he yelled at the other passengers to hold on to Spencer. 
I wonder if all of this happened. Fun fact, it fucking didn't. Curse testified before an NTSB administrative law judge during his appeal that he was flying at 5,500 feet and aiming to climb to 6,000 feet before the crash. According to Curse, the plane pitched over badly. Spencer had gone forward under the controls and he yelled for someone to get Spencer off the controls. So he's like really sticking to the story, okay? Curse also testified that a proper investigation would have revealed that the propeller failed and completely disconnected from the plane. Curse claimed that he made a U-turn when the plane pitched over, but later testified that he made a 360-degree turn. Curse also testified that he lost 1,500 feet of elevation before the crash. The NTSB ALJ upheld the FAA's revocation of, of Curse Airman Certificate. In December 2017, okay, three years after this crash happened, over three years, the government filed a three-count indictment against Curse. Counts one and two charged Kirsch with obstructing the due and proper administration of the law in a pending proceeding before an agency in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1505. Section 1505 provides in relevant part, quote, whoever corruptly influences, obstructs, or impedes or endeavors to influence, obstruct, or impede the due process and proper administration of the law under which any pending proceeding is being had before any agency of the United States shall be fined, imprisoned, or imprisoned not more than five years or both. Okay, count one charged Curse with obstructing the NTSB investigation between about August 24th, 2014 and March 9th, 2017. Count one alleged that Curse made the following false and misleading statements during the investigation, including one, that Curse's plane was climbing through 5,500 to 5,700 feet with a target altitude of 6,000 feet just prior to the crash, which was false. Two, that Spencer slumped into the yoke and blocked the throttle and landing gear controls just prior to the crash, which was false. And three, that a propeller blade failed in flight, which was false. Count two charged Curse with obstructing the appeal before the NTSB of the revocation of his airman certificate by the FAA between about April 21st, 2015 and September 2nd, 2016. Count two alleged that Kirst made false and misleading statements during the appeal of the revocation of his airman certificate, including that one, that Kirst's plane was climbing through 5,500 feet to 5,700 feet with a target altitude of 6,000 feet just prior to the crash. Okay, we're sticking to that lie, which was false, but he made it again, so it counts as count two. Two, that the plane dropped approximately 1,500 feet just prior to the crash, which was false, and three, that a propeller blade failed in flight which was false, but he made the statement again, so it counts for count two in his appeal of his revocation of his airman certificate. Count three charged Curse with piloting an aircraft without a valid, valid airman certificate in violation of 49 U.S.C. section 49. Okay? The jury ultimately convicted him of just counts one and two. Okay? I'm pretty sure count three was aiming to charge Curse with literally still flying, flying his plane. Okay? After his shit was emergency revoked right and then remember we saw him taxiing on the airway after a flight and they were like what the fuck and issued another emergency revocation i think they were trying to charge him with that and it didn't it didn't take the jury was like mm, we're not really that convinced beyond a reasonable doubt not so much so he was charged and i mean he was convicted he was charged with all three but he was convicted found guilty of just counts one and two okay which would be the obstruction of justice with respect to the NTSB investigation of the crash, and then two, the obstruction of justice with respect to his appeal of his revocation of his airman certificate, okay? He was lying his fucking ass off about this fucking crash. And mind you, right? Does this case have anything to do with the actual crash? No, it doesn't. Does this case have anything to do with the fact that he was flying that bitch way too low and that you'll learn this aircraft was so not equipped to handle 
this flight and should not have been in the air. And three, that our boy should not have been flying at all with anyone in his fucking airplane. But the NTSB had let him basically fall through the cracks. No. This case had nothing to do with that. It only was pissed that he lied in those few statements, which is bonkers to me. It only gets crazier. It only gets fucking crazier. This, these these are not, these lies are like, okay, yeah, like he's a liar. We get it. Just fucking wait. Just fucking wait. Okay. Dear Jesus Christ, just wait. Get your wine fucking ready. Get your wine fucking ready. Now, I know what you guys might be thinking. You guys might be thinking, okay, so he lied, right? His back was up against the wall. He was going to try to lie to get out of, get out of being, you know, being tried, convicted for, for something horrible, for a horrible crime. See, that's that's the issue that we run into here, okay? Very much so. Is that this this fool, okay, our our pilot cursed. We would think that he's he's trying to lie his way out of like a wrongful death suit or like negligent whatever. No. No. The only thing that was at stake with respect to this motherfucker lying at least as as we know it right now is that he would potentially lose his 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 airman's license right his 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 certificate okay and as far as i can tell the only licenses certificates airman certificates that were really at you know in peril and in, in, in at risk of being revoked in this instance, at least immediately after the crash, were the one that let him, you know, have passengers on to pay him to fly, the 135, and then the mechanic's license. It was essentially his license to, like, you know, fix his own aircraft and shit while he's, like, doo doo booping around up there. Actual license to, like, fly a fucking airplane, okay? was not really at risk, which is bonkers to me, which is so bizarre, which like literally baffles the mind, okay? Even though the stakes were not very high in just telling the truth, right, in these reports and, in, 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 in you know, in these revocation proceedings, etc. Um, he, yeah, he lied his ass off and lied his ass off to try to keep his license to the detriment of like the deceased passenger that he literally fucking killed. Like his negligent actions resulted in the loss of someone's life and also the massive, insanely serious injuries of the two other passengers, including Pilot himself. Like, and he is basically throwing their fucking names to the fucking wind. He's like, fuck these people and just like lying on the record about them. But what they, you know, about whether they were unconscious and coherent or not during the flight, da da, whatever. About Daryl Spencer, like slumped over the controls, which did not fucking no evidence to say that that happened. Like insane, okay, insane. This guy's just popping off lies, back, right, left, front, forwards, okay. And his his ease and willingness to do that is actually not super surprising, given his fucking history specifically with the FAA and the NTSB. Oh, yeah. Get your wine ready. It's about to be a little fucking scary. It's about to get fucking stressful, okay? It's about to be fucking annoying. 
It's about to make you want to do someone else's job 10 years ago. Trust me. Okay. After being convicted on two counts of obstructing a proceeding, okay, by lying his ass off, as I stated, the assistant United States attorneys submitted a sentencing memorandum, okay, essentially saying, hey, this is what we would like the judge to consider in sentencing our boy, okay? He was ultimately sentenced to 12 months and one day in prison and three years probation and like a $500 fucking fine, okay? Like an easy fucking fine, okay? Maybe it was $5,000. i will go back and check. $5,000 fine, $5,000 fine. $5,000 fine. Okay. Which seems, this seems like slight as fuck, right? This seems like the weakest sentence of all time because the sentence itself is not for killing anyone. The sentence itself is not for crashing a plane. The sentence itself is simply for lying about it several times unprompted. Bizarre. A lot of evidence was excluded from trial. Okay. That the jury could not hear for reasons that a federal rules of evidence rule 401, 402, 403, 405, Okay, balancing tests can can really help you out with, okay, take an evidence class if you want to know why, want to know more. But, okay, regardless of the evidence that was taken out, the jury found that Kirst lied to the NTSB a total of three times, okay? Two of those times happened, right, first in the hospital room and then later on his little report, little situation, and then the last time in his appeal, okay, in the proceedings on his appeal of his revocation of his airman's license. So, like, at least one of his main lies were literally the result of him. Like, he didn't have to fucking appeal that shit, right? He could have just let that shit lie. No, he didn't. He was like, no, I want to appeal and go on the record again, swear under oath, give my sworn testimony, and then lie my ass off, please. What the jury did not hear during the trial, okay, were the findings by the administrative law judge as to Kirst's credibility during the hearing, okay, basically confirming whether or not his, his shit should be revoked for sure. The administrative law judge issued an opinion, and in the opinion he says, quote, during the course of this proceeding, I found Mr. Kirst's testimony to be evasive, non-responsive, and at times condescending during cross-examination. I was left with the distinct impression that Mr. Kirst was trying to make matters more complex and confusing to deflect facts and questions that were detrimental to his case or to his theory of the case. And I do not find him to be credible as to his description of what occurred before the crash in this case. I do not find him credible in any of the arguments and, and defenses he has advanced in this case. I found his testimony to be self-serving and not corroborated by the evidence in this case. An example of troubling testimony is the testimony that blood on his clothing was not from him, but from Mr. Spencer's blood, which proved that Mr. Spencer fell over the controls and then he had to pull Mr. Spencer over him so that he could regain control of the aircraft, aircraft when it pitched forward. However, at one point, he testified he did not know if Mr. Spencer was bleeding before the crash or after the crash. Of great concern is his response when he testified that he knew the blood on this clothing was not his because none of the witnesses at the crash scene testified in this proceeding that they saw him bleeding. This is despite the fact that he admitted that he had head lacerations that required stitches. He did not produce medical records that established the remarkable fact that his head laceration did not bleed. 
If you guys know head wounds, you know that shit bleeds. Holy fuck, head wounds bleed. Mr. Kirst is essentially testifying under oath to the effect that, quote, I say I was not bleeding and none of your other witnesses can contradict my testimony. Essentially, the judge is basically saying the silent part out loud, which is, but why the fuck would we believe that, right? Like, we can put two and two together, bitch. Like, you were fucking bleeding. That shit was your, that blood was yours. Quote, I find his testimony wholly not credible, and I am troubled by the fact that such incredible testimony would be made relative to a matter that is not of grave import to this case. As Mr. Chris testified that Mr. Spencer's falling over on the controls did not cause the crash. This only raised greater concern as to his character for truth and veracity as to his testimony as to matters of greater import in this case. Mr. Kirst testified he has no motivation to be untruthful because he will be liable for what happens in any event. However, liability is not even at issue in this case. Mr. Kirst's airman certificate and whether it should be revoked is the only thing at issue in this case. And I did not find Mr. Kirst's testimony to be credible at all. He did find the testimony of all the administrators' witnesses, basically the FAA's witnesses, and the two surviving pastors of the crash. Okay, Marcin and Daphne, okay, to be super fucking credible. He found them to be credible as fuck. Duh, right? So, so essentially, okay, what is so baffling here is that, okay, not only is he a pathological liar, but like he's lying, he's lying about something, right? Like basically throwing, throwing the deceased Mr. Spencer, your victim under the bus by by spinning this weird narrative about his blood being on you when that is literally like basically they're like okay but like mr spencer slumping over the controls you didn't even really say that that was the cause of the crash regardless so like that's fucking weird you know what i mean you claim that it was the propeller okay you claim that it was the propeller and you claim there was some mechanical failure failure so like riddle me that essentially he's he's just bad mouthing okay mr spencer to the house for no fucking reason and claiming that the blood on him could on his clothes could not possibly be his, even though his head wounds were were fucking head wounds. Okay. And they they like one plus one equals two, they bled. Okay. <laughs> so this is where it gets worse. This is where it gets way fucking worse. Ready? Okay. Let's do it. Review of FAA and NTSB aircraft accident records immediately after the crash. Okay, no shit. I'm hoping they would pull someone's fucking permanent record. Okay, they're like fucking principal file. Okay, like when they get in trouble before, they pull that shit. Okay. And it revealed that the pilot, Mr. Kirst, had been involved in at least two previous accidents. <sighs> On December 26, 2007, the pilot, Mr. Kirst, was involved in an accident while providing flight instruction to a student pilot in a Piper PA-22 during Civil Twilight. Apparently, in that case, okay, while on approach to an unlighted, snow-covered gravel runway, the pilot instructed the student pilot, okay, the pilot meaning Kirst, Kirst, instructed the student pilot to go around, okay, to flip a UE, to flip a woo, a little, little circle of doodah, when he realized that the airplane was not lined up with the runway. The pilot, Mr. Kirst, said that his verbal command to immediately apply full engine power and initiate a go-around was followed by the student, but that the engine did not respond. According to the pilot, he then took control of the airplane, 
confirmed that the throttle was at maximum, and then landed the airplane in the deep snow. As the main and nose wheels touched down in the deep snow off the left side of the runway, the plane, the airplane decelerated rapidly and the nose landing gear collapsed. The airplane sustained substantial damage to the fuselage and wings. An FAA airworthiness inspector reported that this post-accident inspection of the airplane disclosed a number of maintenance deficiencies. Okay? Maintenance deficiencies. Maintenance. Who's in charge of maintenance? The motherfucker who owns the fucking plane. Who's in charge of that shit? Who's in charge of it? Curse. The pilot. The mechanic. He had a mechanic's license at this time. Okay? However... None of these substantial maintenance deficiencies would have accounted for the loss of engine power. The NTSB determined that the probable cause of the accident was a loss of engine power for an undetermined reason during an attempted go-around, resulting in a forced landing and a collision with snow-covered terrain. So, they said fuck it, right? They were like, oh, oops, what are you going to do? And then just never, they didn't have, nope, nothing nothing wrong happened. Everything's gooshy. Everything's kosher. Um, we're fine with it. It's totally fine. Don't worry about it. And they let him off the hook. Nothing, nothing, nothing went wrong, okay? The crash in 2008, okay, happened where... Literally one year later, one year later, okay, 2007 happens, okay, let's find, you know, a, a, a student and him fly a plane into a snowbank, right? It could, ha it happens, what can, you know, what are you going to do, right? Like, look, listen. Oh, what happens a year later? Okay, a year fucking later, around the cold season, apparently these are not, these are not good times. On November 14, 2008, okay, two planes, one of them cursed was piloting collided in midair <laughs> about half a mile from the approach end of a runway at Fairbanks International Airport in Fairbanks, Alaska. Holy fuck. The two planes that collided were a Cessna 152 and a Cessna 182R. The Cessna 152 was being operated by our boy Kirst, okay, and there was a student pilot in the left seat of the Cessna 152. But again, okay, our boy Kirst was driving, right? The situation was that the Cessna 182R, okay, the other plane, I'm just going to call it the other fucking plane. The other plane had been cleared by controllers at Fairbanks Air Traffic Control Tower for landing on runway 19L and was on final approach. Curse's plane, okay, was cleared for landing after that plane. So it was like number two in line, okay? However, Kirst was told to extend his downwind pattern and then do a right 360-degree turn, okay, 360 degrees, to allow additional spacing between the landing airplanes, okay? They were like, hey, space that bitch out, right? Space that bitch out. Instead, Kirst made instead of making a right 360 degree turn he made a left 360 degree turn exactly the opposite of the instructions exactly couldn't be more incorrect okay the left wing tip of curse's plane struck the rudder of the other airplane they collided in midair however thankfully Okay, after this collision, both airplanes did land safety safely, though both suffered substantial damage. Okay, substantial fucking damage. Uh, 
after the investigation, okay, went down, all that shit, okay, the cause report stated, quote, the failure of the instructor in the Cessna 152 cursed to maintain separation from another landing airplane and his failure to follow the tower controller's constructions were the cause of this collision. In 2008. This happened in 2008. Okay. Failure to follow instructions. I'm fucking sorry. I'm fucking sorry. No. No, no, no. 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 Jesus Christ, no. God damn it. Giving me fucking hives. After the 2009 accident, okay, the collision in midair, at the very fucking least, okay, he his license was suspended, okay? They did suspend his ass. They were like, okay, be so fucking for real, okay? But, but initially, they recommended, oh, 120 days, right, for suspension. Um, yeah, they decided, never mind, um, 60 days is enough. So they suspended his ass for 100 and... Or, wow, I can't even speak. They suspended his ass for only... Wow. They suspended his ass for only 60 days um, from, from you know, being a pilot. Fun. Um, and then and then called it quits, right? They were like, whatever, it's fine. Mind you, okay, as detailed in the ultimate NTSB and FAA investigation report, okay, Kirst owned Kirst Aviation. Right? Owned by him, based out of Alaska, the pilot, Kirst, provided flight instructions, aircraft rental, on-demand charters, and other specialized services throughout this entire fucking time. After the mid-air fucking collision, one entire year, you guys, one entire year after the accident, after the mid-air collision, the mid-air collision happened on November 14, 2008, okay? On November 16, 2009, the FAA proposed a 120-day suspension of Mr. Kirst's certificates. The final duration of the suspension was a mere 60 days. 60 fucking days. That's it. Of course, right? Obviously. Prior to this fucking suspension, but after the crash happened in 2008 slash 2009, because of course this shit takes a year. Yes, it takes a long time. To, yes, it takes a long time to investigate. I get that. But like maybe like put a hold on that bitches like fucking certificates immediately. I don't know. A mid-air collision feels a little like holy fuck. Whatever. Okay. On December 27, 2009, Mr. Kirst submitted an application for a single pilot Part 35 air taxi certificate to the FAA. Okay. Remember I explained to you previously a Part 135 is like that commercial pay-to-play, pay-to-fly license, right? To be able to have people be like, hey, can I pay you to fucking take me up? And you'll be like, period. Part 135. Okay. On December 27, 2009, Mr. Kirst submitted an application for that, okay? And on August 29th, 2012, the FAA issued that Part 135 certificate to Mr. Kirst, okay? So it did take three years, right? But, like, you would think, okay, prior to 2012, like, you would think, like, maybe, like, it would take three years for them to figure out if they should grant this or not because of all the fucking doohickeys and clusterfuck chaos that occurred with him literally colliding planes in midair, and doing a bunch of other shady shit, which I'll tell you about, okay? On February 7th, 2008, okay, as a result of the pilot's December 26, 2007 accident, remember the one I told you where he flew into a fucking snowbank? Yeah. 
The FAA sent a letter of re-examination to the pilot to evaluate if he was qualified to hold a flight instructor certificate, period. The re-examination consisted of the pilot's knowledge of the Piper PA-2262 of that, wow, of that airplane systems and his judgment in selecting safe landing areas before attempting to land. On February 27, 2008, an oral examination of the pilot was conducted and the results were, quote, satisfactory. Okay, this is February 27, 2008. As I just explained, on November 14th of that same year, 2008, he collided with another plane in mere fucking air because he couldn't figure out where his left and his rights were. Okay, he couldn't fucking, he didn't know which, which, which were which, but apparently to be a pilot, that's not a big deal. Hey, go left and you go right, they're like, fuck it, right? What can you do? Holy shit. On November 16th, 2009, um, over a year, holy fuck, over one year after the mid-air collision on November 14th, 2008 happened, the FAA suspended his license for only 60 days. 60 fucking days, two fucking months, okay? And you know our motherfucker curse was, Forrest was flying that bitch around, okay? You know his ass was. Like, please, fucking please. Like, he was before, he'll he'll do that shit again. On April 24, 2011, the pilot was acting as pilot in command on an instructional flight when the landing gear on the accident airplane failed to fully extend. During landing roll, the propeller contacted the runway and the plane then veered off the runway and struck a snowbank. As a result of this incident, on June 23, 2011, the pilot, Mr. Kirst, was re-examined by an FAA inspector for his commercial pilot single engine privileges. For his fucking privileges. Okay, what the fuck? During the re-examination, the pilot received both an oral and flight evaluation, and special emphasis was given in the areas of emergency landing procedures, hydraulic failure emergencies, engine out procedures, approach to stall, and aeronautical decision-making. The results of the re-examination were, quote, satisfactory. How many re-exams do we have to go through with this fool for fucking real? And I understand, right? Every time there's an accident or an incident and landing gear doesn't open, da-da-da, you have to, you know, investigate and have these things. But, like, he has a mechanics license. Like, he has a mechanics license. Like, he's supposed to, he has to be able to, like, fly planes that are working. Like, that's your also your job. You know what I mean? Like, you, why is your shit not working? Like, why is your lady you're not popping out? Oh, my God. Anyhow, it gets better. A memorandum dated December 6, 2011, okay, just a few months after he had that fun re-exam, was sent from the certification manager of the Fairbanks FSDO to the Alaska Region Division Manager. And it recommended termination of the certification process for cursed aviation. Okay, mind you, this is before the Part 135 like certificate was actually issued. He had applied for it in 2009, and it was ultimately issued in 2012. Okay, so during this process in December 2011, someone fucking wrote a strongly worded email. They wrote a strongly worded letter to the regional fucking office. Okay, for the fucking FAA heads, the NTSB hoes. Okay, and they were like, stop this shit. The memorandum stated, quote, the pilot has demonstrated poor judgment, a lack of knowledge and failure to comply with the federal aviation regulations on multiple occasions. And his record demonstrates an inability to conduct safe operations under Part 135, end quote. Imagine this is your track record. Okay, this is your track record going into being certified. You're not even fucking you don't even have it yet. You don't even fucking have it yet. And everyone's like, you suck. (laughs) You fucking suck. Well, 
sorry get your wine fucking ready it's not gonna be it's not you're not the answer that you think is gonna happen is not gonna fucking happen Ugh. god i feel like i could do these people's jobs and i don't know anything about flying and i could do these bitches jobs like uh, hey yes uh, a thumbs up or a thumbs down be like yeah no yeah no okay a second memorandum fucking two weeks later dated december 20th 2011 sent from a technical operations specialist to the alaska region division manager supported the recommendation made in the december 20 in the december 6th memorandum a couple weeks prior to quote deny the certification request submitted by the pilot for cursed aviation the memorandum cited a bunch of fucking federal regulations and stated quote an application for a certificate may be denied if the administrator finds the applicant is not properly or adequate is not properly or adequately equipped or is not able to conduct safe operations the memorandum stated quote it is clear based on the pilot's history of accidents and lack of ability to comply with air traffic control instructions that he has not exemplified the characteristics of someone who could adequately conduct safe operations as is required by the above listed regulation. It gets worse. On July 17th, 2012, during a part 135 check ride in the accident airplane, the pilot failed to perform steep turns within commercial pilot test standards. After the failure, the pilot elected to continue the check ride. During the next maneuver, which was an approach to a landing stall, the, quote, gear unsafe light remained on when the landing gear was selected to the down position. The check ride was then discontinued, and the pilot landed the airplane without incident. So he's, like, basically failing his fucking driving test, right, to get his Part 135, like, license, okay, at this point. It is now six months after these two memorandums were sent out, okay, in December 20, 2011. This is now July 2012, and he's just, you know, fucking up every fucking driving test. He can't parallel park it for shit. He, there are lights on that shouldn't be on. You know the vibes, okay? It gets worse. <laughs> and it gets worse. PTSD. And it gets worse. Further entries indicated that during a part 135 check ride, the accident airplane, okay, the actual fucking airplane, mind you, when I say accident airplane, the accident airplane, meaning the airplane that ultimately crashed in 2014 is the accident airplane, okay? Yeah. The accident airplane began to leak engine oil. There were entries regarding this check ride dated August 12, 10th, 2012 and August 24th, 2012. And the exact date of the check ride cannot be determined because period. Let's that sounds legit. When the oil leak occurred, the pilot turned. When the oil leak occurred, the pilot turned towards the pilot instructor and started a descent. The FAA inspector administering the check ride. When the oil leak occurred, the pilot turned towards the airport and started a descent. The FAA inspector administering the check administering the check ride advised the pilot to maintain altitude until within gliding distance of the airport in case the engine seized and the pilot complied. Apparently, this is like a basic thing to do. Like if oil is fucking leaking, you don't just fucking descend immediately. Like that bitch, he was like, descend. Nope. The FAA inspector was like, hey, guy, maybe don't. Okay, period. The landing at the airport was uneventful. During post-flight inspection, the oil filler cap was found hanging from its chain. 
The pilot stated that he was not sure how the cap came off. The FAA inspector put the cap back on, checked it for tightness, and determined that the cap could not have come loose if it was securely put on. Oh yeah, he forgot to twist the fucking cap, you guys. You guys. You guys, you guys, you guys. You guys. It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse, you guys. It gets worse. A, a fucking entry dated August 29th, 2012, okay? The year that his shit was ultimately issued. Stated that an FAA inspector, quote, administered a continuation of a part 135 check ride after the first attempt was unsatisfactory, followed by an illuminated gear unsafe light. The PTR, the, the entry did not specify the day of the check ride, no cares. During this check ride, dated August 29, 2012, the pilot was asked to demonstrate a normal landing and had to add a, quote, significant power increase on final to make the runway. When asked to demonstrate a short field landing, the pilot again had to, quote, add significant power to make the runway. When asked to demonstrate a simulated engine failure, failure to a landing, it became evident to the FAA inspector that the airplane would not make the runway, and he instructed the pilot to go around. The check ride was discontinued with the emergency landing being unsatisfactory. During the post-flight debriefing, the pilot stated that he could have made the runway area. As we know about cursed okay he's gonna fucking fake it till he makes it like he's going to fucking lie to your fucking face he was like i could have made it Are you fucking kidding i could have made that bitch like he definitely couldn't have at all period ever uh, this is all just right all accumulating into some beautiful things right some beautiful amazing gorgeous things <laughs> unfortunately okay that was in August, okay? August 2012, 2012, or whatever the fuck I just said. August, August 29th, 2012, okay? That last check, he failed, okay? He failed that shit. But ultimately, ultimately, in late August 2012, the aircraft operator, meaning cursed, completed the Part 119 process and was issued a certificate by the Fairbanks S. At, well, by the Fairbanks FSDO to conduct commercial air transportation pursuant to Part 135. Implicit in the decision to grant this authorization is the agency's judgment that the operator met the minimum requirements of Part 119. The agency determined that an adequate basis to summarily deny the applicant the opportunity to obtain a Part 135 certificate did not exist. So apparently the basis for getting a commercial fucking flight certificate to literally be paid by other people to fly a fucking plane for them is based on, oh, well, we have no real great decision to deny it. I can give you seven just right there in that paragraph. Are you joking? Are you, I could do y'all's job for you and I don't need to know how to fly a woo. I don't even know. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Okay. So essentially, review of Federal Aviation Administration records revealed that from 2007 to 2012, the pilot had a history of accidents, incidents, reexaminations, and check ride failures. Despite the pilot's history and concerns voiced by numerous FAA personnel during the certification process, the FAA issued a certificate to the pilot in 2012 to conduct commercial air transportation pursuant to Part 135. Cheers. This is when we chug. 
Jesus Christ. Okay? How many pilots are out there just fucking flying by the seat of their fucking pants? Probably a lot. Probably a fucking lot. In addition to his audacious flight history, his several crashes and the like, okay? And apparently he's an instructor, right? That everyone's just breezing over that. I'm like, he was instructing people on how to fly? Holy fuck, okay? In addition to that, okay? And then in addition to what we know about the crash, which was he was flying that bitch too low, okay? Near these mountains. He crashed in the mountains and then lied his ass off about all the reasons why it must have crashed, okay? Blaming blaming Spencer being slumped over the controls, which never fucking happened. Blaming Blaming, you know, the passengers being unconscious. They took Dramamine, like, never fucking happened. Um, just, just blaming the propeller flying off, never fucking happened. There's just no evidence that any of this shit happened, okay, that it said happened. The only thing that we know for sure is that that bitch was flying too low to be near the mountains. Bitch was flying too low, okay? But in addition to that, in addition to that, you guys, in addition to fucking that, okay? The true reason, the true cause of this fucking crash was quote witness statements passenger statements photographs taken during the flight by one of the passengers and gps data recovered from a gps receiver on board the airplane indicated that after takeoff the pilot did not climb to a safe cruising altitude to cross through the mountain pass but instead remained at a low altitude after circling a town he proceeded up a valley that led up to a high mountain pass flying below the tops of the surrounding mountains in close proximity terrain and obstructions about 500 feet above ground level this low altitude flying resulted in the plane reaching the area of the pass being boxed in by the surrounding terrain and not having enough energy or performance to climb up and cross over the pass as the terrain at that point was rising faster than the airplane could climb. Examination of weight and balance information also indicated that the pilot had taken off with the airplane loaded over maximum gross weight and that the airplane was near its maximum gross weight when the accident occurred. The pilot's decision to operate the airplane near its maximum gross weight Likewise, con- likely contributed to the accident because it reduced the margin of power available to climb. The National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable cause of this accident to be that, yes, the pilot had improper flight planning, deliberately flew the plane at low altitude, but contributing to the accident were the Federal Aviation Administration's inappropriate decision to issue a Part 135 certificate to the operator, despite the pilot's history of accidents, incidents, reexaminations, and tech ride fa- failures. Notably, about the weight situation, all right, ready for this? The accident aircraft was a single-engine, four-seat, low-wing airplane of conventional metal construction. The records show that the pilot had been conducting the majority of the maintenance on the airplane engine and propeller since June 2011. Review of maintenance records further indicated that the propeller, all right, was about to be was like old as fuck okay yes nothing wrong happened with it on its you know final flight but like basically if the plane would have continued flying after if this crash had never happened it would have eventually conked out is what the ntsb's investigation found okay that is also one of the main reasons why his shit was revoked because his shit was his license okay Chris's licenses because his licenses related to being a mechanics license, right? Mechanics license, meaning like you could pilot it and mechanic the plane. He had fucked up in so many different aspects, okay, that were in addition to this crash, in addition to his lying fucking ass, okay? Also related to the reasons and cause for the crash, when the pilot was interviewed on September 9th, 2014, he stated that he calculated the weight of fuel bags and people to be about 
40 pounds below gross weight before he departed from, from the airport. However, the calculations indicated that the airplane was approximately 187 pounds above maximum gross weight on takeoff from the airport. Like, be so fucking for real. He's lying through his fucking teeth. I lying through his right. Oh, I can't. Okay. I fucking can't. So, essentially, you guys, okay, is that <laughs> not only, okay, l- l- listen to this, okay, the United States attorneys, okay, the, the AUSA is assistant United States attorneys, um, also said in their sentencing memorandum, quote, the jury found Kirst to be a liar, but he is also a poor performing pilot, a lousy mechanic, and a bully. Curse was a lousy mechanic which put himself and others at risk. Subsequent to the October 24, 2014 crash of Curse's aircraft, the engine was examined by the NTSB and the FAA. The condition of the engine was such that had the Ryan Navion A aircraft not crashed on August 24, 2014, the engine likely would have failed soon thereafter. Holy shit. On August 5th, 2016, the NTSB administrative law judge upheld the FAA's re- revocation of Kirst's mechanic certificate for making several false, false entries into the engine logbook. Ugh. Kirst is also a bully, of course, and threatens litigation in order to intimidate. Essentially, during the administrative hearing pertaining to the revocation of Kirst's mechanic certificate, Kirst accused another pilot of stealing notes that Kirst had supposedly made um, and threatened him to get him to basically revoke his testimony about Kirst and um, his his work on the plane and shit. Of course. <laughs> also, okay, in addition, quote, and this is a quote, okay, from the AUSA's fucking sentencing memorandum, okay? So don't fucking quote me on this. This is the quote. AUSA says, quote, in addition to killing a passenger and being a liar, Kirst is a bully and has no respect for the law. Kirst is active on the Quora website, www.quora.com, a place to gain and share knowledge, a platform to ask questions that connect with people who contribute unique insights and quality answers. Do you guys ever go on Quora? Have you ever typed in a fucking question on Google? Okay. Quora.com will come up. Q-U-O-R-A. Go look it up. Okay. I can't. Apparently, okay, this fool, cursed, has very extensive activity on Quora in which he like responds to questions on the Quora website about like planes, trains, automobiles, whatever. And like doesn't really give helpful answers at all. He just like completely like says random shit that's really weird and jumbled and random. Um, and and yeah, those answers that he gave with his full government name on the core website, they attached that to Exhibit Nine to the sentencing to the sentencing memorandum to basically show that he has no remorse for for the crash or what he did. So like you know, so like think about what you're posting on Quora or Reddit because that shit will come up. And be attached as exhibits all the time. Quote, attached as exhibit nine are several screenshots showing Kirst's activity on Quora. These screenshots reflect not only a small part of his activity. Kirst has repeatedly used Quora to challenge the credibility of the NTSB and FAA and their procedures and to name and challenge witnesses who testified against him at trial. 
Curse will not be deterred, but other pilots need to be deterred and learn that lying to the NTSB and or FAA will result in serious consequences. Felony convictions, jail sentence, community service, and a substantial fine. He is an irresponsible airman. His mockery and intimidation of the government's witnesses evidences cursed cavalier and irresponsible attitude. He demonstrates his lack of remorse and acceptance of responsibility in the Quora screenshots where he mocks how people die in a plane crash. His indifferent attitude is, is insulting to Mr. Spencer, the passenger cursed killed when he crashes aircraft by flying it too low and into terrain. Curse needs to be grounded from flying for as long as possible. I feel like this is like too just just too little too late. Um, so the Quora, a few of the Quora screenshots, okay? Who does he keep naming in all of them, like, repeatedly, okay? And they're all, like, jumbly-dumbly, okay? Is is our boy Brad Sipperly. Brad, Bradford Sipperly, okay? The unfortunate name was apparently the only one that our boy remembered, okay? Quote, literally listen to this, okay? The initial question posted by somebody, and this is, like, in 2020, okay? He, Forrest, okay, our boy Forrest Curse answered this question on january 28th 2020 okay this is like six years off the fucking crash okay which yes like this shit was ongoing okay and this you know trial didn't really end until 2020 but like maybe like public breaks right like maybe like also don't use your full government it just bought it just boggles the mind but someone random posted a question what are some reasons for a plane crashing and forrest cursed posted this answer unsolicited and said Bradford Sipperly, faa asi sent an email blaming a monkey throwing a snowball as the cause of a plane crash now a Boeing employee email question mark has pointed out that the FAA are monkeys. So is the FAA responsible question mark? Was Brad Sipperly admitting that he was the cause of that plane crash question mark? Or did he know that which FAA person was responsible question mark? It makes no sense, right? Like he's just rambling. Like it's giving ramble. It's giving manifesto like for sure. Um, uh, and then, and then like, listen to this shit. Okay. This is the question. What are hospitals not allowed to do to you that they often do? Question mark. Forrest Kirsch <laughs> answered this question January 31st, 2020 and said, I have heard court testimony. I have heard court testimony by the NTSB where the NTSB convinced hospital risk management staff to go down and convince patients to be interviewed by the NTSB. Then the risk management person on hotel staff set up the appointment. All while the patient is highly medicated. The NTSB then treats that DOTA statement as sworn testimony. In my opinion, both the hospital staffer and NTSB person should be fired and criminally prosecuted if possible. The NTSB is so professional. Things like that, right? Like things like that. Um, and then the part where he's like mocking, um, you know, potential victims, um, people who die, pass away in a plane crash. Um, I'm not going to repeat because that's kind of, batshit insane and this guy definitely should be in jail for longer than 12 months if you you know my personal opinion um but who am i right like who am i um definitely abolish prisons a cab for sure but like fuck this guy for real uh yeah so um you know you're probably wondering okay well why did he like he appealed it right like what who fucking cares right why did he appeal it what were the grounds for appealing well his grounds for appealing were that he claimed an NTSB's accident investigation was not a pending, quote, proceeding within the meaning of the two counts under which he was ultimately indicted and convicted. OK, remember, counts one and counts two were that you had to have obstructed a proceeding. OK, within the definition of Section 1505. The first count related to the proceeding as it relates to just the NTSB investigation of the crash in general right? And then count two related to the appeal of his revocation of his license. 
Okay. So like he lied twice, right? In two different scenarios. And he claimed the NTSB uh, investigation is not a proceeding because um, it only includes proceedings where an agency has regulatory or adjudicative authority and the NTSB lacks such authority during an accident investigation. So like it's not actually um, a proceeding. It doesn't count. Which like as you know, we've learned from our first episode, our first case about the TSA being held together with scotch tape, um, you know, those things do matter. Okay. Words matter. Definitions matter. Loopholes like that matter and happen all the time. And rightfully so. Okay. Make your shit clear. Make your statutes clear. And sometimes shit isn't clear. But in this case, kind of just like the TSA swatch tape one, in this case, the twine and string NTSB situation. Okay. Um, yeah. Same result, which is that, ooh, an NTSB investigation is actually a proceeding under Section 1505, and it's actually already held to be a proceeding several fucking times previously, okay? there the, the, 2022, this this appeal, okay, was was um, heard and decided November 2022, just a few months ago. Uh, there have been several cases prior to that where pilots had lied about shit. They'd, like, sent off, like, pieces of an airplane right to somebody else to try to, like, hide and stuff. Like, things that happened, okay? People had been indicted and charged and convicted with obstructing an NTSB proceeding, an investigation into a plane crash, and 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 shit hit the fan. And and so, yeah, essentially, um, yes, it is. Um, it, it, the court ultimately concluded, yes, it is a proceeding because, um, yeah, the NTSB can administer oaths. They can subpoena witnesses. They can conduct investigative activities that amount to a proceeding within the meaning of Section 1505. In the course of conducting its investigation, the NTSB had both subpoena power and the power to compel testimony under oath. Under a bunch of other cases, okay, that the court sides to, that is sufficient. That's sufficient. Obviously, there's some contention, okay? There was a dissenting opinion uh, attached to this, which I won't read because uh, snooze fest. But, okay, there people do disagree as to whether Section 1505 provides that an NTSB proceeding can be, um, you know, can be a, a proceeding. And I mean, an NTSB investigation can be a proceeding under Section 1505, but, like, it can't be. Let's just, like, assume that it can be. You know what I mean? Until, until, until this... I was going to say until the United States Supreme Court says otherwise, but like realistically, like what the fuck are they doing up there? You know what I mean? Like lately it's been nothing good, nothing sound, nothing precedential, nothing fucking coherent. TBH, NGL. NGL meaning not going to lie. Okay, I'm losing my mind. It's 1249 a.m. Let's go. <laughs> As to counts one and two, um, after, you know, after that, his his appeal pretty much falls apart. He basically argues that oh they didn't have sufficient evidence to convict him of corrupt intent um you know that he made these statements with corrupt intent meaning to disrupt the investigation um they were like yeah no there was sufficient evidence to show that you definitely had motive to obstruct the ntsb investigation by providing false statements during the investigation and appeal because your airman certificate and your livelihood were at stake bummer um yeah so ultimately they upheld um that it was not error to convict Curse on count one or count two, um, there was sufficient evidence to support his convictions for under both counts, and that yeah, um, they did not commit error in in assessing the five thousand dollar fine against you or holding that you should be in prison for a year and and a day, which is what you got, right? He is still presently 
in Prision, Prichon, I believe. I believe he is. Who knows? I mean, fuck, man. I'll fucking know. Um, when was this motherfucker like put in jail? Let's see. Whatever. Regardless, okay, we're running out of time. My rebuttal for today's episode is that one, shut the fuck up at all times. Assume that everyone is an op. Assume that everyone is a narc, right? Number two, stop flying fucking planes and driving fucking boats and driving fucking vehicles when you are a fucking moron, when other people are involved, okay? Thank you. Number three, fuck around 75 times and eventually the FAA, the NTSB will have you find out. But again, 75 times is really is really going to do it for you first. Like watch out that 76 time. Watch the fuck out. Because apparently you can fuck around 75. And the NTSB and the FFA will not come after you, which is horrifying and terrifying. And you will be able to fly people up in a plane to go look at a moose. And I hope that moose that was photographed is having a good day. Um, I hope that Daryl Spencer's family is resting knowing that they did get some form of justice and seeing the man who um, was negligently responsible for Mr. Spencer's unfortunate passing to, you know, be um, responsible to answer for his lies and his crimes. Um, I hope that you find peace and I hope that you are all safe. This has been my rebuttal. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope that you will have a lovely day, a lovely week. A bonus episode will be released later this week. I am so fucking excited about that. Um, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a doozy, as I always say. Follow up, me on TikTok at Remazel. Follow at Rebuttal Pod on Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok everywhere. Um, and yeah, uh, I have so many. I literally, you guys, I was literally shaking, itching wondering which one I was going to choose for today is because I have too many in my back pocket that have come up in the last like three weeks that I'm so fucking stoked to share with you. So keep watching, keep listening. Please review, please like, please comment, please subscribe, please turn your notifications on. I love you guys so much.